Hey guys, it's Jack. Just a couple of housekeeping matters before we get started today. I've had requests for Google Podcasts and Amazon Podcasts, which I didn't realize we weren't on, but we are now. We should be on both of them by the time that you are hearing this. So I think we might be everywhere that you're looking for us, but please continue to uh, hit me up on, on Twitter, on the Facebook page, if you're not finding it anywhere that you get podcasts. All right, let's talk to State Senator Anna Wisher. All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Jack Mitchell Podcast. It is time to go again. Thank you, everybody, for uh, listening. For I mean, you got, we got a lot of people listening now. I'm not going to brag about the... Uh, you know what? Actually, I am. Uh, we are uh, now every... Uh, for, for 2023... Excuse me, 2022, we've got all of the, uh, the most downloaded uh, content from the website at our stations from the Jack Mitchell Podcast. So... That is awesome. I've enjoyed the heck out of this, so thank you for supporting us. And I want to get to our guest today right away. Um, excited to have her on. Um, I, I know her a little bit, like a little bit from a few conversations, um, but I've wanted to, to get to know her more, know what drives her, know what her story is, know what her background is, and I think you all enjoy it as well. So I uh, want to welcome into the podcast today, Lincolnite State Senator. Anna Wishart. Anna, thanks for coming in today. How are you doing today? Good, Jack. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you know, I, I've always wondered, because I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I love them. It's what I go to bed um, listening to. And I've always wondered, because like, all I do is hear them, but typically, is it in a Zoom experience? And can anybody watch, watch the Zoom, or is it only listening? So for this, I do it via Zoom for me and you so we can see each other. And I have the video, but I haven't yet started releasing them. So, like, I didn't do my makeup tonight. Like, I normally do a base layer, that kind of a thing. And so, normally, so you, so nobody will see us for the most, that may, that may happen down the road. And you know, I, I have to be very concerned about my appearance for radio. As you probably know, you know, I throw on a baseball cap every morning at 525. Uh, you know, get out. I have perfected my getting out of the house. I can go from, uh, head on the pillow to at work in 18 minutes. It's pretty amazing. So I, I that's why I'm glad I'm not in TV, to be honest. I think that's like a Guinness <laughs> record. It's, it's pretty quick. It's, it's pretty quick. So it's so cool. It's, it, it's cool. And, you know, like I said, you and I have, have talked a few times. Probably we've, we've worked on some events together, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated with people who are in politics. I'm fascinated with people who are from Lincoln. I'm fascinated with, with, uh, younger people who want to do it. Um, you know, and, and so I've, I, I, I just want to kind of talk to you and, and learn about you from this whole thing. So, so let's get going on this thing. So, okay. So like I'm a Lincoln East Spartan. From what I understand, you're a Southeast Knight. Um, disappointing, I guess, to start the podcast. You mean I'm, I should be disappointed at you? No, no. Oh, God. But first of all, so I was there in a, in a era before you and like what I knew of Southeast was they just beat us in everything. They beat us in everything. It was the place to be. Uh, it was the, it was the football team that had seniors who didn't even suit up for games. What year did you graduate? 
I it sounds like I graduated that same year, Jack, because oh, we dominated in pretty much every oh, sport. Geez. It was such a fun time to be a Southeast night. You guys are all the worst. I mean, I'm sorry. You're all the worst. Uh, was that was that pre? So was that pre uh, Lincoln Southwest opening? Lincoln Southwest opened my senior year, so I'm definitely dating myself. Okay. Here. Okay. Yeah. And and they've become a very a, a very good school when it comes to athletics. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I mean I went so I was at Southeast 2000 to 2003 that that era and seriously it was so much fun oh my gosh you are uh okay this uh, uh, you're older than i thought you were <laughs> i don't know if that's a compliment <laughs> like i don't know what to, i'm sorry yeah like for some reason i was thinking a later era than that but yeah you guys still would have been through that that whole thing with yeah that was in that was an athletic renaissance there and probably in all the other stuff too in music and drama and everything oh, else theater. oh oh everything it was it was a really fun time to be at southeast yeah so now that you know my age does that disqualify me from being on this podcast yeah that's it that's it we're done um we're looking for younger people here on this thing i want to get to i really want to get to gen z i didn't know you were such a why so oh, i'm a millennial yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I want to get, I want, I thought I, I, I need Z's. I, you know, that's see. Okay. So I'm born in 77. Uh, I, I like to identify as an X, but I like it sort of on the line. So you were what? So you're I like 82, 85, 85. Okay. Bad math by me. 85. So you're like, right. Yeah. You're, you're clearly in the early millennial stage. Yep. Early millennial. Without a doubt. Up without really cell phones what was it? Media. but you had internet when you were in high school right yes. yeah internet yeah. when you were in high school see like we didn't have internet till we were in college we got internet in college for the first time for the most part my generation that that that's like the big difference yeah there are pluses and minuses to, yeah. to getting to go through your life without internet i could i could see a benefit to that Do you remember dial-up you remember dial-up don't you I gotta orient myself to your your age now. You like you remember the you remember that, right? <laughs> I do in AOL. Um were you are you of the age of the bag phone? So I never had one because I was like sixteen at the time, but yeah, in 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 nineteen ninety or thirteen I would have been nineteen ninety, I knew people who had bag phones. My grandma had a car phone, I remember that. That was a big deal. Uh, that was like in the like bolted on to the the floor in between the the front two seats. So I had that, but my first. So like the weird thing is, yeah, got inter- got internet really in college for the first time. Got my first cell phone right after college, right after I graduated college. So I and like if you look, the weird thing for me is like if you my college life from would have been nineteen ninety six to two thousand, they're like eight total pictures of it (laughs) (laughs) they're like we didn't take pictures of anything and now it's like eight an hour you know oh yeah (laughs) and i mean if you go back like what you know 50 plus years everybody had one photo yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) what the photo that's their their family photo and that was pretty much it exactly (laughs) 
So, uh, okay. So you grew, you, you grew up here. you you grew up here your entire childhood or did, or did you move here? Oh, no, I grew up here my entire childhood. In, in fact, uh, district Diana Shimmick, who was the district 27 yep. Senator when I was growing up, she was my Senator. So I grew up in district 27. Now it's changed a little with redistricting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have a, I mean, it was wonderful running for office in this area because I grew up with a lot of people that still live here. So uh, I read on one of your bios that your parents still live in the same house. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Same house. What? Uh, I'm not going to ask you for their address, but what generally where it, where is it? Right by Brian West, Open Harvest. Okay. Area. Okay. Yeah, my mom actually helped to start. She was one of the like beginning members of the Open Harvest co-op cooperative when did that start i think like, in the 80s in the, did it yeah i didn't know about it till like 2007 but that's uh, that's it interesting like in, it was don't quote me on this but it started in like somebody's like house that sounds about right <laughs> <laughs> that's not, so they so they still so they still live right right in the area the same place so you go back it's still have your room and everything set up and that sort of thing oh yeah <laughs> definitely i mean it's you know, I used to, so I have a twin sister, so we used to share our bunk beds. So, I mean, it's not set up that way anymore, although that would be fun. So I have to be honest. What is it like? Like, give me the twin experience. Is it, I, I mean, I'm sure there are huge positives and then there are some negatives as well, but what was that like growing up for you having a, having, having a twin all the time? It was great. I mean, she's, a, so she's, I have a twin sister and, um, it was wonderful. I mean, there are negatives in the sense that people always want to kind of pit you against each other competitively in it, in a way where I think probably people have sibling. I mean, any, any person who's a sibling would, would feel that. But when you're the same age, um, there's more of an assumption that you should, you know, do things the same and it should be comparing yourselves. But mm-hmm. um, we, I mean, we've always had a very strong relationship and it gets stronger the older we get. That's cool. And That's good. as you, you mentioned, I am old. Very old. <laughs> Unbelievably old. Again, a lot of regret from me for even asking you to do this at this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you guys finish each other's sentences, say the same things. Do you have those? Like, do those things exist for twins, really, that we all kind of imagine? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things. Like, one, we're we're unbeatable in, like, charades or something. You think the same. Yeah, we just are. We know how to give each other clues. I mean, we've been, we were together in the womb. So, you know, we've shared a lot of life together. There's that. And then we used to share this language. She's probably going to kill me for saying this, but. Go ahead. Do it. We used to share this language called Eggy Weggy. <laughs> it's where you add, it's unbelievable. You add um, egg after every vowel. Okay. And sound in a word. So like how would be hegao. <laughs> so if I were going to say, how are you doing? I would say hegao, eggar, yeggy, deggy, weggy. I can't believe I still remember that. Gosh, that's it. So it's like pig Latin, sort of, but like more, more complex. Yep. That's interesting. Um, so what what did you do? What were you involved in when you were in high school, when you were in Southeast? What did you do? So both of us were runners. 
so um, we did uh, track and fields. And um, we were very into horses. We, we were those girls who were obsessed with horses at a very young age, and it just never went away. And we finally just wore our parents down, and they got us a horse. Um, he actually passed away a couple of years ago. He was 30 years old. He like, oh my raised gosh. his sister and me. Yeah. Is that like a normal age for horses it, to, to live? It's on the old, older end. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely... And uh, so we were very into 4-H and horses a lot when we were little. Okay. My daughter, she goes to Hickman and she rides horses. Uh, she loves it too. She's the same way. So I am not buying her a horse. I don't. I don't care to deal with all of the things that go along with that. But she likes to ride them. So we, so we have that uh, in common as well. So. You're uh, my son's seventeen, so you're seventeen years old. You're in Lincoln. You've grown up here. You want to get out of town? Is that? I mean, are you like being pulled out of town at that point? Is that something that you really wanted to do? Did you think about staying here? What was that process like? Yeah, I always knew I wanted to go to the East Coast for college. My mom is from New York, from Long Island, and my and my dad's actually from England. Um, but my my mom is so. Both of them, you know, lived in another place when they were, you know, growing up and when they were, um, you know, experiencing life. So I wanted to experience, kind of spread my wings and do that. So, and both my sister and I did. My mom jokes that we got as far away from her as possible without going into Canada because we both <laughs> ended up in Vermont and Maine. For, for college. So she went. She went somewhere different than you did. She went to. She went to Maine. She did. She went to Bowdoin in Maine, and I went to Middlebury in Vermont. Okay, what was that like? I mean, you're you're in you're in Nebraska all your life. You're Lincoln, Nebraska. You wanted to go. You wanted to go there. I know you studied film studies, uh, essentially. But what was like that getting away from home that far? Like I went, I went to Northwest Iowa for college. I went three hours away. That's a different deal when you're going that far. Where you can't drive home for the weekend. What was that like for you? You know, I wish I could say it was amazing. And there were a lot of incredible things about college in Vermont. I loved Vermont, but I was very homesick. Were you? Very, very homesick. Yes. For all four years of college. Really? Even by the time you were a senior? Like, I remember that first night in my bed in Iowa, and I remember saying, I don't know if I can do this, but for like, after like a week, it wore off for me. But all four years, that was a thing for you. Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, I enjoyed it. But when I look at when I look back at my college experience, you know, now with, with, you know, more perspective, I was very, very homesick. And that's why I came back to Nebraska. Uh, that's, I, I did want to ask you because, you know, it, it, I, I think the stereotype is you've got someone who's, who's smart, who goes away. Um, uh, to different parts of the country for college, the thought is, the thought is they're going to end up in a big city. They're going to end up in New York City, Chicago, Kansas City. I've got a ton of friends in in all of those places that they went away for college. That's where they ended up. And you probably could have been, you know, you you might have had those opportunities, but you decided you wanted to come back. And and I know you hit on that, but. Take me through that sort of decision as you as you matured in college. It's it's interesting because it's 
it's kind of hard to, I mean, early 20s, it's hard to even remember how you were thinking. Agreed. Agreed. At least for me, it's just yeah. hard to remember. Um, I just knew when I graduated, I wanted to come back to Nebraska. And I knew that throughout my entire college experience. It's hard to put it into words. I just, I love the state. I love Lincoln. I absolutely love Lincoln. I can't see myself living anywhere else. And I'm like you, Jack. I had a lot, I have a lot of friends, probably the majority of my friends who gravitated towards Same. New York City, Chicago, or Denver. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. That's where they all, all of them are. Kansas City, um, Minneapolis are the other ones for me. Yeah. Kansas City, yep. And then, you know, my sister's up in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, she went to law school up there, so she she ended up staying up there. Um, but, yeah, I just, I knew I wanted to be here. And, and I still feel that way. That's weird because, I mean, I do too. And there were times <clears throat> during, you know, I came back and went to law school here, and, and I've been here since. But, like, there were times I was like, I don't know if I if I was putting this on myself or it was coming extraneously from my friends, but it was like, you, you really should try and, <laughs> you know, you, re- you really should try something else. You really should see what it's really like. You, 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 there was almost this sort of... I don't know. Shame isn't the right word, but I think you know what I mean by by staying home. Did you did you get that? Did you feel that? Um, a little bit. I think what you're describing is called FOMO. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the fear of missing out. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, especially when you get into a big city and everything is just like bustling, and you just like feel that energy. I have a I have a little bit of that. Um, Definitely. But the thing about Lincoln and about Nebraska is that there's so much opportunity here for an individual um, to be really successful and do what they want to do. And you can also afford to have a life in which you can travel. I have a ton of friends who are basically prisoners to their apartment in New York City Mm -hmm. because they cannot afford anything but rent. Um, And I just I never really wanted to live that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Like don't I mean don't be wrong and I'm I am thrilled that you exist and like that you that 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 that. All right, I'm getting a sense you're telling me maybe I need to get out of town. Not at all because I'm the same person. I'm yeah. the exact same person. I'm gl- no no I'm absolutely glad. Um, I'm glad I'm I worry like I worry that the that that there's a certain mentality of of people at that age who because I wasn't that person but all of these people that I knew at the time who were and I was like wouldn't you consider staying here and hanging out with me and the vast majority of them the vast majority of them said no and it like it made me wonder if there's something wrong with me to some degree right but I yeah. didn't but but I, I I was with you and I had like you I have family here I enjoy. I enjoyed it here. I like. I, I liked it here. There wasn't anything I didn't like, and I felt like I was missing out on, for the most part. And I don't know what I was thinking. I think the family probably was the biggest thing for me. Was that my my family was all here and and close. Um, but yeah, that was, that was something that I thought about a lot in my in my early twenties, um, yeah. with that whole thing. I, I think I think I did too, Jack. And I and. 
And I'm glad I made the decision I did. And I wish more people would be like us and would stay here in Lincoln and Nebraska because it is a huge issue facing our state, a, a massive issue um, facing our state. Like, let me let me put it in perspective in terms of just how much out-migration out we're having in this state. So this year we um, debated debated and voted on a bill on um, – I'm going to get a little wonky here for a second. That's all right. Go for it. Bill to build a canal in Colorado. Right, right. But like the water war bill. Um, and it's, it dates back to a compact in the early 1900s that Colorado and Nebraska made in terms of managing and sharing our water. And at that time, I believe Nebraska was at about a little under a million people population wise. And like Colorado was like 500,000. Mm-hmm. Nebraska is now 1.9 million mm-hmm. population wise. And Colorado is like rapidly approaching, I think, 6 million people. Like we have a, I mean, it's wonderful living in a state where you're not like back to back in traffic and dealing with some of the things that people deal with when you're really compact. Um, but we are staring sort of at the precipice of um, more people aging into retirement in our state than 18 and younger. Right. I mean, that's going to happen in the next 10 years. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I share that that interest, that concern. And I think that's why I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, excuse me, I'm fascinated with, with people like you, you know, that, that like, how do we duplicate that experience? Right. How do and a huge part of it, I think, like I said, I mean, how much did family play into it for you? I think a lot. I think yeah. family played a lot into it Me for me. I think, I mean, Lincoln is just, a, again, a very comfortable place to live. I would say the university system, and uh, e- even though I didn't uh, go to the university here, a lot of people who stay here have gone to the university. Right. It's such an anchor mm-hmm. for people um, to, to stay, and so that plays a large role into it as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So you did uh, film studies in college, right? That was... That was your major. Yeah. What was the genesis of 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 that? Like, like, uh, how, j- just tell me about that because I was, you know, I've I've never done any kind of an academic sort of course with the, with that kind of stuff. So, tell me about that. Yeah, I kind of stumbled into it. So originally, I went to Middlebury for a couple of reasons. They're known as one of the best environmental writing. Uh, colleges and they're also known and I care deep. I love nature. I love being outside. So I was interested and I love writing. So I was interested in that. And then also um, they're known for foreign languages and diplomacy. And I was very interested in French and also sort of international diplomacy. And so I was kind of going down that track and, you know, when you're a freshman and getting all your classes scheduled and I just happened upon a class on Alfred Hitchcock and it was a classic Hollywood class, um, film class. And I went to that and I fell in love with Hitchcock. Like in love. I was mesmerized by that class. It was what, I mean, it was just, 
to this date, one of the best experiences of my life. It was taught by this larger than life professor called, I think his name was um, Bertolini. And he was just a huge, he was a huge Alfred Hitchcock and Ronald Reagan fan. But he's just this larger in life guy and um, such a wonderful class. And I took that class and I changed everything and said, I want to go just follow this track of film. I think film is such a um, wonderful way of people communicating. So you're, you're thinking about that when you're early in college, are you thinking about a career at that point that comes out of that? Or are you thinking about, I'm fascinated with this. Let's, let's take classes. Let's take a, a, a college path. That is something that's very intriguing to me. You know, I think I was thinking about a career, and, but, um, you know, I was one of those film majors that was like film theory where it's like, the only track you really have is to be a professor and just, you know, continue the cycle. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which wouldn't have been a bad thing. Um, both no. Both my parents were professors. But um, but I, I did actually work a little bit on a film set um, and really liked it. I worked on a film set in Iowa um, right after college, um, right outside of Des Moines in, in this town called uh, Earlham. Okay. Iowa. Really yep. in the... You know the movie um, Bridges, Bridges in Madison County? Yep, yep, yep. With, um, yeah, so it's it's in that area. It's beautiful. So I worked on a film there and started as a production assistant where you just asked to do everything. You know, film sets are really rigorous. Um, and so, like, you're just, I mean, you're working jillion hours a day kind of thing. But I got promoted up to um, assistant location manager. And so my job was to go around to like farms and different towns and like find the location that we would film. Right. And then also mediate any disputes between the film company and the, the uh, community, because this was an LA film company. And like, sometimes they would drive up onto people's lawns and park. <laughs> they didn't know how to deal with the Midwestern folk. And you were the interpreter essentially, I was right? The interpreter. So I did all of that and I loved it. Um, but it's such a nomadic career. You have to move to where the film is. And there's very rarely films in Nebraska and Iowa. Yeah. And so after that experience, even though I loved it and I felt very good at doing it, um, I just, you know, I again, I wanted to stay in Nebraska, so I kind of had to turn my attention elsewhere. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. So, so you get, so you, you decide to come back and what are you doing then? What happens? Well, I got connected with uh, Senator Ken Har. He was a new senator at the time through my parents, through a mutual connection. And I was looking for a job and he hired me as his administrative aide. He really cared deeply about the environment. And so that um, we connected over that. And so I worked for, I so that's when I started in the legislature. I started probably in 2008. Okay. Yeah. I was following the legislature closely then. Uh, it was my like, yeah, that was my that was my like third year on my job, and I thought I had to watch all of it basically, right? I like I would. How are you? What? Because I you? I started at KLIN in two thousand six, so I was doing the morning show, and I thought I needed to be on top of local politics, so I would turn on the Unicam, and in that era, I mean, I can name you all the senator. I mean, I remember. You know, I remember Phil Erd been lecturing everybody back in the day, and I remember, you know, uh, who's the guy from Omaha that looked like the Blue Eagle from the Muppets? That guy, uh, I, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to forget who that is. Um, you know, the, you know, just all of them. Uh, I grew up knowing Kathy Campbell. She yeah. was in the legislature at that time. Yeah, so I know I'm, I, I'm very familiar with that era. So. What, what was that experience like for you working in the legislature after having you know, all of this coming back? Did you enjoy it, and how did it kind of set you up going forward? Yeah, I loved it. You know, the legislature is really a huge family. And when I was working there, it was during kind of the period of time, and we're starting to see a lot of, well, we've seen for the past few years a lot of retirements um, from staff members who have worked there for for like 20 plus years. But when I was working there, there were still all these staff who really, when you were a staff member, your your job was really to uphold the nonpartisan values of the legislature. So like you'd have staff members who would go through maybe four different senators, but they were the staff member for that district. They knew everyone in the district, you know, they, so it didn't matter if it was a Republican or a Democrat, you kind of stayed. As they'd a flip, member. they'd switch. They'd oh, go yeah. between, you could do the, you could carry out the mission no matter who you were working for is what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. Some of the most professional people I've ever worked with, people who may disagree on an issue with what their boss is, you know, voting on but are so professional about recognizing their job is to ensure that unicamera works and functions well for the people of Nebraska. So it was a wonderful place for me to, to be around um, a lot of the men and women who had been working in that, in those jobs for years and years and learn from them. So it was a wonderful experience. At some point, I can't even figure out when I did it. I interviewed, I actually, I don't know if I've ever said this before, I interviewed, and I don't even remember the senator, I interviewed to be a legislative aide at one point. Um, I saw the salary, and then I, <laughs> and then I thought twice about it. I don't even remember if I was offered it or what happened with that, but but I did that. But it did, I mean, it fascinated me in the, in the same way. Um, the idea that things like you were talking about were possible, 
that people would move between those. The the idea of the unicameral has always been for me like that's Im- that's important to me as a Nebraskan. I know there's talk about changing it and doing those sorts of things. That bugs me. Um, but yeah, the 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 legislative process. That's I mean, it's probably why I'm talking to you today because it's it's incredibly fascinating to me. Um, you know if. If you had gotten that legislative aid position, what's so nuts about it is you would have been the highest paid person in that office. Right. Make more than the administrative aid. And the senator. senator. (laughs) Yep. And I talked to my one of my buddies went to I went to law school with. I would have lunch with him pretty frequently. Um, He's the mayor of Seward now. And I would I would talk to him and I would hear about, (laughs) you know, he he liked it, but man, yeah, it was just, it's no money, and I still can't believe we're not paying our state senators more than we are, but that, you know, that's, an, I, I can't, so, that's got to disqualify so many people. Oh, so, so many people. Like. So, so Mayor Josh, Seward Mayor Josh, he's yes. a staffer, he was a staffer when I was a staffer. Was he? Yeah, I went to law oh school God. with Josh. It was so, it was so much fun, too, because it was. It was a period of time when, you know, we'd be in like heated debates during the day. And then in the evening, everybody, every staff member, every senator would go out to the local bar and hang out and Mm -hmm. make amends and get to know each other on a totally personal level, um, you know, become friends. And there were so many interesting friends groups that would, you know, that, were totally defiant of party, um, which is just really fun. And like I said, it's just like this huge family. Well, yeah, like you would have fit in great, by the way. <laughs> I, I, Even though you're from East, I don't. Oh wow, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, uh, but uh, I'm, uh, you saying that 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 kind of culture that like you're working for senators that disagree. During the day, you're working against each other in in some ways, and then you get together at the end. Like, is that still is that still a thing anymore? Is that I mean, like now you're a senator. Is that is that is that sort of uh, relationship sort of situation? I mean, I know, geez, I know you went. We're going to talk about it. I know you went to Kilimanjaro and right, like hiked with people who disagree with you on a whole lot of things. But is that will that continue to be a thing? Yeah, I mean, it's not as much. I mean, I I am somewhat nostalgic for the days when I was a staff member. It, it was days that was pre one. It was pre COVID. Yeah. I mean, COVID really. It, I mean, look, COVID impacted a lot of other people a lot more than it impacted us in the legislature. So I, you know, I don't want to yeah. act like this is a sob story, but. It did impact our ability to um, interact with each other outside of, you know, virtual or or just, you know, work. Um, so I think that's gotten in the way. And then social media, you know, it's so hard for people. So I'm not very active on social media, It's but it's hard for people to build trust if they're saying things about each other in a public square on social media. I mean, it's just hard for anybody to want to go out for a drink afterwards. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, the the conversation happens elsewhere, essentially. So 
That's interesting. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Um, so I want to keep, I want to keep up on your story though. So, okay. Legislative, uh, administrative assistant, you go through that, you enjoyed the process. You had, you had good memories. What's next for you after that? Well, I left that job to go and work and run Senator Rick Kalowski's campaign. So it was really one of the first, well, actually that's not true. The first campaign I ran was my own for the airport authority. Yeah, Airport and I, Authority. Yeah, and I was a staff member um, at the time for Senator Ken Harn, ran for the Airport Authority and got elected to that when I was 26 years old. By the way, how did you pick the uh, Airport Authority? How is that the next step? Like, how does that uh, – it's just it – it sounds it sounds a little random on its face, right? You know, in some ways it kind of was. So I um, – I was at a women's luncheon, uh, the Helen Busalis luncheon. It's every year we celebrate the first mayor, uh, a female mayor of Lincoln. And um, I was there and Amanda McGill was speaking. She was a senator at the time. So as as you can imagine, she's this 20-something-year-old senator, and I'm a 20-year-old staff member. So it was like, wow. Yep. I know Amanda. Yep. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. And she spoke to every single person. who was a young woman in that room and said, you cannot wait. You need to get involved in politics. Now you need to run for office uh, now. And it just hit me. I remember turning to my mom who's sitting with me at the ta- at the table and saying, I, I want to do this. And so then I was just thinking about it and thinking about where is there a space where I'm somewhat familiar. And I have a lot of pilots in my family. My grandpa oh. on my mom's side and my uncle and my aunt and my cousin, they're all, they all have their pilot's license. My grandpa, um, I believe he was the, he flew for Pan Am. You remember Catch Me If You Can? Catch Me If You Can, yep. Yeah. So he flew for Pan Am during those days when okay. it was like you dressed up to fly. Mm-hmm. Like you wore a full suit when you were going flying. Um, and uh, I think he was the first to fly the U.S.-China route, double-decker plane. To, yeah. To, yeah. Just wow. super cool. So anyway, I thought, you know, I, I feel really comfortable. I've traveled a lot when I was young. I, I feel comfortable with the airline industry and airports and all of that. And so I'll put my hat in for that. <laughs> and what, what, <laughs> so was, later, was it what you, was it what you expected? Oh, it was better. It was better than what I expected. Um, really? Yeah, because I got to serve with four 
very successful businessmen. Um, John Hoppy Jr., uh, oh. Richard Nuremberger, um, um, see Jim Lowerman, Nick Cusick. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list goes yep. on. And it's a nonpartisan board. And you really get your feet under you for what it is to serve sort of a smaller municipal government. Um, Cause we ran an industrial park too. So yep. I understood the issues associated with manufacturing and industry and the issues associated with running, you know, an airport where you care about public safety and you care about running. So it's just, it was great. But on top of that, I got to be mentored by some really incredible people. And I got to learn, even though I'm a young Democrat and they're all older Republicans. Well, yeah. Um, that we actually got along really well. And um, they all endorsed my um, my uh, run for office when I ran for the legislative, legislative campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because that was my first thing I was wondering about. Like you're a twenty something female going into going into this board that's all old white dudes. Um like I I mean it's just it's it's gotta be like I don't know if you feel like you have to prove yourself or you know, make like how do you how do you go into that situation? It's gotta be just intimidating by the nature of it. How did you approach it? Yes definitely intimidating. Um, they were very, very welcoming. Um, I, cause I was the second woman ever elected to that board. Phyllis, Phyllis Chambers, uh, mm-hmm. who runs the retirement system. She was the first, uh, woman ever elected. Um, you know, it was, uh, intimidating. The way I approached it was I spent the first couple of months listening and just taking it all in and soaking in, you know, all of the information that and being open to, you know, people sharing their information, what they, what they think with me, um, and just doing, you know, learning everything, getting all the facts under me and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, starting to, um, to really apply myself. So that, My thing is, if you can show up and show that you're somebody that people want to have on your team, that they'll look past maybe any of the um, their predispositions to think of you a certain way. Is is does political ideology matter with the uh, with the with the airport board at all? Like, I, I did that did that come through with your in your conversations and those sorts of things at that time? No. No. Right. Mm-hmm. No, good. Not really at all. That, that that makes me want to ask a question about the Lincoln Airport, then, because I, you know, I grew sure. up here. I, uh, yeah. like, what can it be? <laughs> what, what, like, there's there's a part of me, Anna, and uh, that says, oh my gosh, if there was an airport between Lincoln and Omaha, like just halfway between. Lincoln and Omaha, I'm sure Lincoln would like that better than Omaha. That would be completely ideal. I all, you know, I check Lincoln, I do those sorts of things, but I always assume Omaha is going to be a better situation. Like what I I'm curious now, now that you're outside of it, how do you how do you view the airport's role in in Lincoln in the future going forward? Yeah. I mean, I think there's I think there was a time in which 
the sort of airport in between Lincoln and Omaha in like sort of maybe the Gretna area or Ashland area would have worked. But Omaha now has such a significant base of people who travel from it because of Iowa and Nebraska that that would just never be a reality uh, anymore. In terms of Lincoln's airport, uh, you know, it's, it depends on how the city wants to embrace it, to be honest. There is a huge benefit to a city having an airport. Transportation, access to commerce um, is so important for a city. And I think it would be a huge loss if we got rid of the Lincoln Airport. I know it's, you know, tends to be more expensive, uh, but for, for certain types of travel, um, it still works. The airline, but if you look at the whole airline industry in the United States, it's just really, it's really challenged right now because mm-hmm. of COVID, because of pilot shortages, yeah, lack of competition. Well, like prices, we were going to go, so we had kind of short notice. We were going to go on spring break. We are going to take our family on a trip maybe three weeks out, and I looked and I was like, oh, my gosh, just even where gas is, we'd be better doing the old-fashioned family vacation and piling into the car and we did we drove down to galveston texas and we went yeah. went to the beach it, we, i mean and it was still w- like way cheaper so that's that's a factor as well but it's it it, it is really interesting to because i've always you know just kind of wondered what the the role in the future and i want it to do well i under like i understand how important that it is i'm pulling for it but it never seems to quite get over the hump you know, really where we need to go is we need to be a spaceport. Yeah. <laughs> we're one of, I know it sounds crazy, but we're one of the few runways in the country that can handle like a yeah. major satellite landing. And um, it would just be so cool to, to focus ourselves on like, uh, you know, on that type of research and development. Yeah. No, when I was in elementary school, I went to Holmes and then, Morley Elementary School, and that was during the shuttle era. So they were, you know, we would all get together in the uh, in the the lunchroom or wherever and watch the shuttle launches. But they always mentioned, you know, if the the landing doesn't work at wherever they do Cape Canaveral or wherever it is, Lincoln is like the second or third option because of the runway. And so as a kid, I always hoped, like, oh my goodness, we may have a shuttle land in Lincoln at some point. Never did that I know of, but. But that goes to what you're talking about, I'm which is sorry, I didn't make that childhood dream come true as your airport <laughs> That's true. That's true. I give you a, a D plus because you never actually did that during your your airport authority. Um, were you always thinking about the legislature then, after you had worked there, done the airport authority, and and thought that's the next natural step? Yeah, I. I mean, I truly did. I mean, absolutely fall in love with the legislature and. Senators like Amanda McGill inspired me. I, I want to run for this. It's, it's nonpartisan. I I know what I'm doing. You know, I ran Rick Klasky's campaign and then came back and worked as his legislative aide. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, I felt the next step was to run for the legislature. And tell me about that experience. What was that like for you, running for the first time? It was a very, very intense experience. Was it? Oh, yeah. It was a, uh, 
it was a full-time commitment. I So when I ran, I said, I want to get, because Kobe Koash was before me. Okay, I was trying to remember who had your seat. And Koash won it against, like, the tightest race against Dan Marvin, I remember. So, yeah. Yeah, and Colby was great, and, you know, what he did was he really set a bar for going door-to-door and meeting with everybody, and that's why he was a good senator, because he knew the district. Uh, and so yeah, he's I said, a good guy, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's so great. And so I um, I walked, I spent two years, and I knocked over 20,000 doors myself. That sounds terrible, by the way. Every day, 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock, every single day. For two years, I knocked um, uh, every single – I met – anybody would open their door at least three times. That's crazy. I can't – like, what's that – you don't know what you're going to get on the other side, at least initially, with this thing. So, like, how do you even start – how do you start that conversation with somebody you don't know who's on the other side, you don't know where they are politically, how engaged they are, any of those things – is well, that... the first thing I did was, like, acknowledge their disappointment that I wasn't a Girl Scout. <laughs> you, the amount of times I would be walking up to a door and hear a kid saying, oh, cookies. <laughs> yep, we'll and take the, we'll take two boxes of Thin like, Mints. No, I'm sorry, politics. <laughs> I'll give you a salty spoonful of politics. Um, I actually, I really liked it. Um, I'm, I'm actually slightly introverted, so it was... It was always kind of hard to get out there, but once I got out there, everybody's so nice. I mean, so nice. I also brought my border collie with me. Um, oh, that helps. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Every single door with me. Um, he would sit outside on the lawn and wait while I went up to the doors. Sometimes people would invite me in for 30 minutes and he'd never move. He'd just stay there and wait. It was it was really so much fun to do it with him. So I enjoyed that. And then, you know, you just it's like a, it was a good chapter of the life because I met some really interesting people. I bet you did. <laughs> I bet you did. I mean, like other- open the door. People will open the door in all stages of dress. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that. Like, yeah, like this one woman opened the door, just full on wet hair towel right out of the shower. I'm like, I mean, I appreciate the obedience that you see of response, but like, if I, that was me, I would just be like, no, <laughs> like what percentage of people like you? You can tell just want no part of it, right? They're done. They're just. I really, I, I, I know you're not going to believe me, but. I had after in twenty thousand doors. I had one person who was negative. Stop. That do, that doesn't sound right. I know it's crazy, but here's the thing: the genius is if someone's door says no soliciting, I don't knock on it. Right. I feel like that's the that's the person that's like I really don't want to be bothered, and then I'm like I'm not going to bother. What do you do if you get somebody and you're like, okay, it's pretty clear that they're not going to agree with me on policy? I would say probably out of, I can count on one hand. I, it's just nuts. This is how cool the district is. On, maybe on one hand, how many people ask me what political party I belong to? Really? It, yeah. Nobody asked. Um, 
we didn't talk deeply about issues. It's more like when you go to, when I went to doors, I mean, we talked about like everyday things, like people left their school. They Mm. were worried about property taxes or road taxes, or, you know, they cared about public safety, those kind of things. But it's like, the key is to build, the key is to know that like you can trust each other. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way you're going to agree on every issue. It's just right. like right. It's not possible. And what's cool about this district is people seem to recognize that, and you kind of see it. Like it was Diana Shimmick, who was a Democrat, yep, moderate Democrat, and yep. then Colby Coash, moderate Republican, and then me. And I don't know where put people I put me in terms huge of- lib. Huge, <laughs> the scale. Um, huge lib. And so it's like they've gone back and forth between. So it's like a, it's a it's a cool district in that way. That's interesting. Uh, that that that, I, and I wonder if it it'll still be you know it's still that way today. I I, I don't know oh, the answer so. to that, but you think yeah. so? Oh yeah. You've worked hard for what you have: your money, your assets, your four hundred one k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss, and if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save twenty-five percent off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at lifelock.com/aware. Terms apply. Um, in the legislature, um, partisan divide versus rural-urban divide uh, is. is I, I hear all the time people say it's almost more of a rural-urban divide than it is a pardons, partisan divide. How much? How much truth is there to that? I think it's both. I think it's both things. Um, Definitely. And then there's times when there's a generational divide. Yeah. um, As well. Um, But yeah, I, you know, that's so cool about the unicameral is like, depending on any issue is like these different allies. Yeah. You can't burn any bridges because you're going to be battling someone on one issue. And then the next day you're going to be like totally working with them on another issue. Whereas a, a different group is battling you on that issue. Yeah. That, you know, I had Brett Lindstrom on my first podcast, my very first one that I did. And I mean, I can say this, like talking to potential leaders of roughly my generation is <laughs> that's something that energizes me about the future. I, I'm trying not to be ageist or anything like, but that, that, and you know, and, and I think that's probably true of me socially in every other way. Uh, you know, I, I certainly, you know, got, got my mom. I've got, I've got people. I do a radio show, frankly, that, that probably caters to a, a slightly older crowd, but I could, the conversation I had with him, um, you know, to the, we probably agree on some things and we disagree with some th- disagree on some things. But like I sought you out, I sought him out generationally because we kind of talk the same language. That's interesting to hear you say that with the, with the generational thing. Oh, yeah. I remember my, uh, I think it was my freshman year, my training wheels had to come off pretty quickly because I was uh, prioritized the autonomous vehicle bill that mm-hmm. would 
Because we were now, Nebraska is the most free market state in the country in terms of autonomous vehicles. Like, very pro, like, innovation technology. And Tyson Larson, who is a, a rural Republican senator, he partnered with me to get it across. And we overcame a filibuster by the chair of the Transportation Committee. And it was so interesting because it was totally a generational divide. Right. I mean, a totally generational divide. And honestly, it was interesting because the reason I brought this bill was on behalf of the AARP and the Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Because once you get autonomous vehicles, it just opens up the world of mobility for people who no longer can drive. Um, But they were not having it. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah, because t- uh, Tyson, okay, I'm remembering he was, uh, he did the stuff about like, uh, daily fantasy sports in the legislature and stuff. I remember it was, it was a lot of that generational stuff, honestly. I, I, I kind of remember that. That's fat. So that's a third one. We got party. We got, uh, we got urban, ur- urban, rural. We got generation as well. Um, what was the first time that you, Senator Wishart, kind of were exposed to this issue of medical marijuana and and realized that this is something that you wanted to to really take a stand for and advocate for? It was when I was knocking doors. It was one of those 20,000 doors. I knocked on a door of a woman. She's a well-known pediatrician in in, uh, Nebraska and in Lincoln. And she had a daughter whose son, so this pediatrician's grandson, had severe epilepsy hundreds of seizures a day and um, her daughter took him to California got him working with the doctor on plant-based medical cannabis uh, regime and uh, he eliminated seizures and he's a happy healthy at that time eight-year-old boy and they would love to come back to Nebraska but they'd be treated like criminals and her child would be taken away from her and it just hit me like a brick. You know, I worked for, because Tommy Garrett was a Republican senator when I was a staffer for um, Kalowski. Mm-hmm. He got the first bill. He had the guts to bring yep. it. Ponytail, um, right? Ponytail. Tommy Garrett, <laughs> yeah. libertarian, from, uh, Republican from Sarpy County, just really fun person. I really liked uh, watching him as a senator. And he uh, brought the bill. And so I'd done some research for Senator Kalowski as well. So I knew the issue, but that's really when it hit me. And then it was surprising how much it actually came up at other doors. And my husband was a police officer at the time for uh, LPD. And I came home one day and I asked him, like, am I totally wrong? Like, offer this, but I think if I get elected, I'm going to bring a bill to legalize medical cannabis. And he's just like, first of all, you need to do what's right. But second of all, like, we just don't deal with this as police officers. That's interesting. He said, I got a friend, I'm not going to name him, who's on LFR. Um, and so they respond to medical emergencies. And he said almost the same thing to me. He was like, he was like, man, he was like, alcohol is a million, a million to one <laughs> in, in terms of where the problems lie. Oh, and it's like the instigator for all the other things, too, like alcohol, meth you know, mm. some of the harder stuff um, is where you see the de- domestic violence and, you know, robberies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, it just, that's what started my journey. And um, once I lock into something, I'm just in relentless. 
Yeah, and it's it's been and now the crazy thing is so the loss this lawsuit is filed about how the votes are countered uh, or the signatures are countered essentially you know and this was news yesterday so I'm actually um, talking to you about very current events right now. You're getting the breaking news. Yeah, exactly. But like, here's the thing about this: I presume if this gets to the ballot, Senator, this. It'll succeed. I have people who are, I don't know if there's polling on it, but I, I kind of have that assumption. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but this is going to be the second straight year <laughs> that this is going to be in the hands of the judicial branch, essentially. And like, are there, are there, what happened? You know, I, I, I know your focus right now is winning this, being able to, to get the signatures, but is it if you lose two rounds with the judicial branch is is that going to be it for this for a while well no because there's the legislative option i mean i'll keep working on this issue until i'm either told by the voters i we don't want it um or i run out of time because i'm no longer a senator so i've got two more years to do it um yeah you know, it's, it is frustrating to have such a popular issue. And we have done polling on it, and it's over 75% support now. So you think if it gets to the ballot, you think it gets to the ballot, it'll win? You're oh, confident of that? I think it will be one of the um, most supported ballot initiatives in the history of ballot initiatives. If, if that's the case, how do we... I mean, we just saw statewide results for an election and and like you guys can't you can't get enough senators to support it in the legislature. And I don't think you're wrong what you're for. I've heard the same thing from people who are talking about what would happen if this went to the ballot. Like, how do you explain the can't get it done in the legislature because you've got senators who feel like they've got to, you know, they've got to dig their feet in. With with this potential of it being very popular statewide, when you take a vote, I mean it's it is. I think it's a couple of things. Um, I think one that a lot of people care about this issue are currently accessing cannabis from the states that are surrounding, and so even though this is a really important issue, like. It's not affecting them in the way that it's affecting certain people in the state who are either like so terminally ill they don't have that option or like facing the criminal justice system because of it. And so like I think that's one of the really frustrating things is just recognizing like there are certain people who don't have that luxury at all. Like there are people who right now are battling cancer. And I'll give you a story. I sat across the table from a gentleman who came into my office because my office is the place where people feel safe to actually talk to me about these things. So, I mean, it's getting to a point where it's not anecdotal anymore. I'm hearing from so many people. But he, he had cancer, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, stage four, like given a basically 10-month death sentence. And he did everything possible, researched, like, all of the things you can do to battle cancer. So it was chemotherapy, you know, everything. And one thing that came up constantly was utilizing 
cannabis because it helps you. I mean, people joke that it gives you the munchies, but for somebody who's on chemo, like a lot of people die from pancreatic cancer because they waste away. It's called wasting syndrome. They just can't keep food down. So it is life changing for someone. And he went to Colorado, purchased cannabis, um, took it, had a, didn't have a good experience. And finally was able to get in touch with the doctor in Oregon who walked him through, believe it or not, um, he was able to take it in a suppository. Um, <laughs> see, this is why you need the Zoom, because people need to see your face when I said that. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, 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 I've, yeah, I've seen the available things that are out there right now, but that was not yeah. one of them. It is. And um, it's... Um, it changed his life. And, and I've heard from him recently. He actually beat it. And it wasn't just because of cannabis. That's not what I'm saying. But right. it was part of his ability to battle. He's not, he's not somebody, he's somebody who needs to talk, needs to work with a doctor on this. And me, I mean, this is, this is what we're talking about. So I think that's one of the things that's frustrating is that you don't see people care about this issue, but it's not the only issue that they're going to vote on. Right. And that's why you see that disconnect. Like, that's okay. I mean, that makes sense to me, but that's, I think, where you see the disconnect. Well, like, what's the fear? I mean, I mean, you've had to... What's the the fear, the concern that you're met with by people who oppose um, uh, medical marijuana? Is it is it that it's a gateway to recreational marijuana? Is it that it's a some kind of a cash grab? That What is the most persuasive... Thing that you've got to go up against on this issue and the main thing i have to go up against is people saying that it's not fda approved okay the schedule yeah. the, the the federal schedule thing yeah yeah the federal schedule thing and you know it's it's so frustrating because we're one we're one of two states now that has no form of legal medical cannabis system i mean every other state and, and frankly i'm a i'm actually a state's rights person and and it's it's very frustrating to me that a lot of the people that are telling me that also are saying that their state's rights. Um, you know, it's a plant that's been around Jack for ten thousand years. It's the oldest cultivated ever by humans, and it was used medicinally up until the nineteen thirties in the United States. In fact, when states it wasn't the federal government, but states started one by one criminalizing cannabis, which by the way, Nebraska was one of the last to do that. So we have it in our roots to not be on the wrong side of this issue. But um, the doctor's association at the time of prohibition um, came out in opposition, the national doctor's association saying this is an important medical tool that we use for people. Hmm. So interesting, you know, a history of, the criminalization of cannabis is so intriguing. Um, you know, a lot of the money spent in the, and you can even see it on the legislative records back when states were, were criminalizing it. A lot of the money spent lobbying was from the paper industry who was concerned about hemp and hemp products as competition. So, yeah, it's just like, it's so intriguing when you look back at the history of all of this. And to add to that, you know, you've got the farm bill uh, federally that with some of the hemp things in there. And and now because of that, we've got Delta 8 and Delta 9 and 
all of these other like quasi recreational marijuana type substances that are on every corner in Lincoln at this point. <laughs> like, how does that impact impact what you're doing? Not really a lot because again, like the the people. That's the thing is the people who are really pushing on this issue are people who are incredibly sick. In fact, we're about to lose one of the people who's been volunteering on our campaign for years. She's mm. um, because of a very complex issue that she's used cannabis for um, to help her live know some form of life so that's the people we're working with and again you know the the real solution is having a very safe and regulated system in the state where you can where it is a tool that a doctor can work with use that frankly is far more benign than opioids or some of the more addictive medicines that are out there that people are dying from yeah just that um yeah, you ju- I'm sure you just saw the the number of overdose deaths that just came out a few days ago. Opioid, opi- opioid, excuse me, related. I mean, yeah, I mean, I get it. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I don't. It's it's crazy because that stuff. Those are the problems right now. Those are the huge problems right now. And I'm not even, you know, I got I got a kid in high school, and he'll tell me stories. And I'm like, really. 16, 17 year olds with opioids, but uh, yeah, it, it's an issue. Yeah, it can absolutely ruin somebody's life. And then, you know, yeah, just exactly. So that's that's why we're pushing so hard on this issue. Yeah, I get it. Um, so, uh, married to a former cop, like. <laughs> But, now he's a middle school guidance counselor. I know he's at in LPS now. I read that, which is awesome. But I, but I'm totally curious, like, how did that, uh, you know, a lot of your conversations in the legislature about policing, especially two years ago and, and those sorts of things, how did that come to bear on your thinking about those issues that are significant ones in government right now? I think it was very helpful because I know as the spouse of a police officer, I know how tough that job is and how important it is. Um, and how just challenging it is to be the people that are out in the middle of the night, you know, encountering people when they're at their worst mm-hmm. and doing things that, you know, they'll regret for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is helpful for me to, to, um, to be able to, to know that, to know what it's like to officer and I do bring that with the decisions that I that I make you know one of the things that you know I've worked on legislatively uh, is bringing a lot more funding for law enforcement in terms of training um, in particular I just think it's really important uh, because you know I my husband was met with some situations where his life was you know, threatened as well and so as much training as they can have on how to navigate that yeah, sacred is for everyone. the whole deep. I don't know. It struck me as someone uh, the whole defund the police thing was a a political nightmare. I don't. Know. I, I I mean that's just. And it doesn't mean that everything's right, but that's a 
it just feels like a political disaster to me, um, e- even though it became a big movement and a big rallying cry. Law enforcement are vital for, for a community. And where the issue a lot of times lies is that they're asked to be the person that is responsible for dealing with all of the other things that we've decided is like a community not to deal with in other things, mm-hmm. like mental health. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, like economic uh, instability. Yep. Uh, domestic issues. Yes. Domestic issues. Um, you know, just so, but mental health in particular mm-hmm. uh, is just you know. It's such a huge issue, and what we've ended, what we've done is we've gotten rid of a ton of beds, mental health beds in our state, and we never replace them with community support systems. And so people end up in our incarceration systems or in the homeless, in homeless shelters or on the street, and then it's just this constant cycle of you know doing something, getting into trouble, going into the correction system, not getting the support you need because you have a mental health issue. Yep. Yeah. And going to drugs and other things to try and just, you know, escape. Yeah. Uh, I don't blame, you know, yep. for in that case. And, um, you know, it's just a, so anyway, law enforcement is really because we haven't supported our mental health system, they're, they are having to do all of that. And so I think that's the answer is more support for mental health. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And that goes down. I mean, even outside of what we're talking about with law enforcement, just school age kids right now, all of those things. I mean, it's so it's, you know, even in Lincoln, in a, in a place like Lincoln, it's we're, we're short staffed on all those things right now, um, which oh. is. So, for yeah. for young people, and after going through COVID and everything else, it's it's such a uh, uh, an important thing right now. And I don't know what the solutions are, but man, it's it, it, people who don't understand what that situation is right now. It's it's a really significant issue in the in the city. There was really there was one night. Uh, I don't think I've shared this with a lot of people, but it's really it's a night that I'll never forget when. When my husband was, uh, I come home. He worked the night shifts, which is just a challenge in itself. Um, and uh, he came home and was just really frustrated because, uh, you know, he'd been in a he'd been in called to a domestic violence situation, and uh, the the uncle of the situation who wasn't who wasn't involved was just furious at my husband for just being there, mm-hmm. um, even though he was, you know, trying to help this woman. And, you know, he came home and was just so frustrated because it's like, you know, I I don't know why he was so angry at me. And so I told him, well, you know, I, we talked about it and I said, well, have you ever thought about just going back and talking to that uncle? And so he did the next night. Like knocked on his door at like 11 o'clock, which is gutsy, but that's when his shift is on, you know? Yeah. Um, and the uncle answered and, um, 
and the uncle wasn't the perpetrator. You just shown up. And, right. You know, it was frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. He answered and they sat down and talked for an hour. And they talked about, you know, my husband asked, like, what is it in your life that has led you to, you know, distrust me so much, you know, in this uniform? And, um, you know, he said that he'd grown up just oh, seeing police taking all the adults he knew in his life away. Hmm. You know, and and they talked and talked and like it was just such an incredible experience. And they connected and I I wish you know when you asked what can you do to solve the issue, I wish that we gave law enforcement officers more time to like I'm gonna get like teary about this, Jack. This is just like mm-hmm. sad to me. I wish we gave them more time to like see and connect with people, like not just at night when they're dealing with like a crime, but like an opportunity to see that person maybe who has changed their life or that opportunity to connect with people in that way. Um, I think it would make it a lot safer for police. And then I think it would just be a just really beneficial to the whole community, mm-hmm. you know, to build that trust. Mm-hmm. But I just am so proud of him for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting you say that because in my job, I've connected with several, several members of, of LPD in particular and, and they, and there are similar stories to what you're talking about with your husband whether informally or or formally and that's why i've had such a hard time even though i can agree that policing isn't is far from perfect that there are issues that there are you know all of the things but i also couldn't can i you know i think it's like any profession i think there are i think there are people who are or there are good and there are people who are not very good at it frankly um you know and i don't know why that's what we think about anything um and so i don't know but but that's that's why i to get back to my point that's i think always why i felt felt like i needed to have you know the backs especially of lpd because there were people like like your your husband and i couldn't ever get on the you know get on the huge you know defund the police platform and 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 police inherently evil platform and that sort of thing i never could do it and i still can't i can't so um it's interesting to hear you say that because that's i think that's kind of the whole genesis of that those sorts of interactions that you're talking about right now yeah and and frankly funding opportunities for more of that yeah they, absolutely they did a pretty thankless job yeah Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody who's listening next time to see a police officer, give a thank you. Yep. Or a school counselor, uh, or either a school way, which I'm sure which is <laughs> about the same situation uh, yeah. right now in a lot of ways. That's awesome. It's just, he loves it. That's cool. Uh, I went over the time I said, oh my gosh, I went quite a bit over the time I said I would. I didn't get to a whole bunch of the stuff I wanted to, but I really, I really enjoyed it. Senator, um, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you came back. I'm glad you stayed. 
Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I, this is, it, it's so encouraging to have these conversations, get to know people. This is my favorite thing to do. Um, and it's so cool to, to learn a little bit more about you. And I hope I have a chance to do more going forward as well. Well, thanks for having me on. To, I think this is like the second podcast I've ever done. So really? It's the most fun. <laughs> that's good. That that's uh, that's awesome. It was fun, and I yeah, and I got a lot more. Man, I didn't even get to all my. Oh man, I have so many legislative questions about how the legislature. Yeah, I didn't even touch Kilimanjaro. Oh my gosh, I just realized that now. I got Kilimanjaro, so I'm gonna have you on again sometime. We got a lot to talk about. We can talk policy. I got a lot of questions about the legislature. I never understand why the legislature doesn't do anything when they realize that there's going to be a ballot uh, petition. You know, medical marijuana is one thing. All of these things that they're definitely going to end up having to deal with anyway. Gambling, all those things, and they still don't act. That drives me nuts. So that's always a thing. So we will book another another appearance here maybe in uh, late summer and talk again, and we'll see what's happening with medical marijuana then and more. But it's been great to get to know you. I really appreciate your time today, Anna. Yes, thanks so much. Have a have a really good rest of your weekend. Yeah, hopefully I'll have good news with the petition the next time. All right, we'll see on that. There's Senator Anna Wishart on the Jack Mitchell Podcast.